Hi everybody, this is Leo Babauta, and today I'm talking with Tim Ferriss, number one best-selling author of the 4-Hour Workweek. He's best known for lifestyle design, where he applies principles such as the 80-20 or Pareto principle to his work and life, maximizing the use of his time to free himself up for other passions, things like martial arts, fitness, ballroom dancing, Japanese horseback archery, traveling, investing, and much more. Okay, Tim, uh, first of all, thank you very much for, uh, for doing this interview and for letting me share this with my readers. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I just wanted to let you know that uh, you've been a huge inspiration to me and I'm sure for countless other of your, your readers and my readers. And I wanted to know, uh, maybe you could share some of your inspirations for redesigning your lifestyle, simplifying and, and focusing on the important things in life. Uh, well, there, there are a few different answers to that question. The first is the catalyst, the reason for the book, uh, and that's very simple. In mid-2004, I had a long-term girlfriend uh, break up with me due to my schedule at the time, which was 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. at a minimum. I was working across multiple time zones uh, with clients, and she gave me a parting Dear John letter equivalent, but it was actually a plaque, I kid you not, that said business hours end at 5 p.m. And that really made it clear that despite the fact that I was uh, at that point earning more per month than I had been earning per year, uh, the income had no value without time. So that was the real defining moment. That so a wake-up call for you then, huh? That was the wake-up call that set me on the path to doing these various experiments that started with the, the email restriction in London. But do you have any um, people in mind? I mean, who are like inspirations for you? People like yep. How you're Absolutely. an inspiration for the rest of us? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I appreciate the kind words. I I I'm really standing on the shoulders of a lot of giants, though. So the second, the second uh, answer to your question is uh, really more philosophers uh, rather than people in the time management field, so to speak. So uh, Seneca, in many respects. Uh, and Stoic philosophers, uh, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus. Uh, I find Seneca the easiest to read, so letters from a Stoic, etc. I think that it's a very good defensive philosophy, so minimizing pain from emotional overreactions. Uh, and then you have uh, some of the Epicurean philosophers who are very good at taking great pleasure in the small things. And it's a combination of both of those. But in the business world, I think Herb Kelleher of Southwest was very good at focusing on the important things because he had very precise rules for making decisions at Southwest. Mm -hmm. if, and uh, he's, he's famous for telling people that they could be the CEO because he has one question, which is, will this help us be the low cost, not only low cost, lowest cost provider uh, in the airline industry? Mm -hmm. And using that as a filter, it made his job much easier. So following people like that as well uh, has been very helpful for me. Okay, well, great. Um, and you've given me some things to, to read, so I'm going to look some of these up later. <laughs> but um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was your, your work day. I mean, I know you're famous for the, the four-hour work week, and, mm -hmm. um, but you've also explained you know, that, that beyond just doing the basic things, you, you uh, go beyond those four hours to do things that you love doing, that you're passionate about. And that, to yep. me, that's in inspiring. And I'd like to kind of hear about your typical work day, your routine, 
Um, and I know it changes probably you know day to day, but just something that you typically do. Sure. Uh, so I'll give you the framework. I think that that routine can be very empowering as a as a positive constraint, and I think having things scheduled also helps you to get more done. So you've probably heard the expression, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy man. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's very true. And that comes back to Parkinson's law. So I'll give you my framework for the day. And then what fills certain spaces varies day to day. But generally, I wake up around 10 a.m., which is very late for most people. But I go to bed around 2 or 3. Uh, and I do make sure that I get my sleep uh, almost always 8 to 9 hours unless it's prior to some type of event or presentation, in which case I generally don't sleep. Um, then I'll, I'll get up, have a quick breakfast, do about 10 to 15 minutes of reading. Generally, things like Seneca, something to really put my mind in the right frame for the rest of the day. And uh, then I'll do a workout. So I'll do a workout, generally uh, resistance training, for 20 to 30 minutes. And then from that point, for about a two-hour period, I'll work on any one of my projects. That could be helping uh, startups that I've invested in. Uh, I do work as an angel investor here in Silicon Valley. Uh, it could be any number of different things. Uh, this week, I'm actually selling uh, a company that I'm involved with, uh, and that's taking up most of my time. Uh, then I'll have lunch around 1 or 2 p.m., uh, and that's usually uh, along with a trip to pick up mail or packages if I have any. Um, after that point, I will... Uh, in, for the last few months, do a swimming workout of about 45 minutes, then do another, let's say, four to five hours on particular projects. That'll take us to six or seven. I'll have a small snack, workout again, wow. uh, and then... So you work uh, out three times a day? Two or two or three, uh, but wow. they're very short. Some of these workouts might only be 10, 15 minutes, keep in mind, especially in the morning. Sure. Uh, it, it's the greatest mental performance enhancer uh, possible, uh, physical exercise, really not separating the, the brain and other organs. Uh, and then uh, I will have, after working out, I'll have a nice big meal and come home. And from about, I would say, 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. is generally allocated to spending time with friends. Uh, and I'll oftentimes have lunch with friends slash business associates. They're, they're usually one and the same now. Uh, and then my most productive writing period, and I enjoy writing, uh, as difficult as, as it is for me, my best writing period is from about, uh, I would say midnight or 1am to 3, 4am. And so I'll generally sit down with a glass of wine or two and, uh, some tea and write, and I'll put on a headset and usually play music off of Pandora and I'll have a music in the, uh, I'm sorry, a movie in the background playing on a big screen TV so that it feels like I'm in a social environment, even though the TV is actually muted. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that is my routine. And that's, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I mean, the one thing that really strikes me is, is how you're able to, to focus on that writing. I mean, do you find it hard to, to stay away from distractions while you want to focus? Well, that's part of the reason I found that I get my best work done between 1 and 3 or 4 a.m. is that uh, particularly since I'm on the West Coast, the options for procrastination and distraction are fewer. And I, whenever possible in my life, I try to control my environment uh, rather than control my behavior. Uh, so I think that's changing your environment and designing your environment 
and that includes schedule, is oftentimes much more effective than trying to rely on self-discipline for certain things. Uh, and I, I've really tried to follow that as much as possible, making it impossible for me to misbehave, in other words. Well, that's a great point. Um, thanks for sharing that. And then another mm -hmm. thing that really struck me is, is how uh, you and I both have um, you know, similar habits, but very different uh, time routines. You, you work your best later at night, and I work better at early in the morning. So uh, I was wondering, did you experiment with that? I mean, did you try different things out and figure out what works for you? Uh, I, I absolutely did. And before I wrote the four-hour work week, when I was in the planning stages, I actually interviewed uh, about a dozen best-selling authors, so people who had New York Times bestsellers, and also about a dozen best writing authors, so people who had won uh, National Book Awards, Booker Prizes, uh, uh, Pulitzer Prizes, etc. And no one had the same writing routine. And yeah. one, of, one of my writing professors, who's uh, probably the most amazing nonfiction writer I've ever read, named John McPhee, M-C-H, I'm sorry, M-C-P-H-E-E. -E. Uh, and uh, his routine is essentially sitting in front of a typewriter or computer from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, with one break for lunch and swimming. And he puts in his time in front of that screen or that piece of paper no matter what. And I tried to do that and wanted to Hemingway myself about <laughs> 48 <laughs> hours into it. I couldn't do it. So what I realized for myself, and I fought this for a long time because there's a lot of guilt associated with not doing the writing during the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think a lot of our poor behavior is driven by guilt. Uh, I realized that during the day I could do interviews, I could do information gathering, I could do research, but for any type of creative synthesis, I really needed that pristine period of quiet and non-distraction that I could only get at uh, 1 a.m. to 4 a.m., 5 a.m. period. When I was actually writing, my, my schedule shifted even later, and I ended up writing until 4 or 5 a.m. Um, so I have experimented with that, absolutely. Great. That's fascinating. Um, one, one thing I also wanted to ask about is um, you've, you've talked a lot about the uh, low information diet instead of being overwhelmed with information. You've found yep. ways to, uh, you know, just focus on the information that you need and not not be overwhelmed by it all. Um, right. I also wanted to ask about uh, how you uh, prevent from being overwhelmed by tasks. You know, all this stuff coming in through email, all the things that the projects that you have to do. How do you stop from getting? I mean, doing, trying to do everything and, and focus more on the important things that need to get done. Uh, there are a number of different things that, I, that I'll do. Uh, just to touch on the low information diet, I, I don't have, for example, I don't use an RSS reader. Uh -huh. um, I do not use uh, many of the aggregation tools. I don't use any desktop client for Twitter, for example. Um, I actually also very seldom have any, any toolbar shortcuts to websites uh, mm. because ha these tools uh, encourage you to to distract yourself more frequently, if that makes sense. Sure. So, so the easier you make it for extraneous information uh, to to come in a channel uh, to whether it's relevant or not, the less you'll be able to focus on tasks. So I, I really find that that incoming channel and your outgoing channel for any type of output is a one-way street, and so you have to control one to maximize the other. Uh, so the the task restriction is important. 
what I find is uh, I also don't use online tools for uh, setting a to-do list because the problem with a digital tool is oftentimes it can be filled with an infinite number of items. So you end up accumulating. The, this is another example of controlling your environment or tool versus your behavior. Sure. Uh, so something that you can fill with an infinite number of items will facilitate bad uh, bad unproductive behavior. In my case, I will take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, fold it up until it's about the size, a little bit larger than a business card, and uh, then I will put any number of to-do items on that card uh, the, the day before or the morning of, and that will usually be three, four, or five items, and then I'll number those items in order of importance and therefore sequence. Uh, and when in doubt, I will always ask myself really two questions. Number one, uh, if I only complete this item, will I be satisfied with my output for the day? All right, that's number one. Uh -huh. And number and number two is which of these items has the potential to change my life? So a force multiplier. And I'll give you a number of examples. Right now, I have a number of tax documents that need to be filed, um, and I have a company, a number of startups I'm helping launch products. Uh, I also have this company that I am in the process of selling. And those three separate categories produce probably 50, 60, 70 different to-do items if I allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. um, the tax documents um, are important. Uh, they produce a lot of stress and therefore people, myself included, are inclined to put that at the top of the to-do list. But the fact of the matter is I can let those documents quote-unquote fail for a day in order to focus on the sort of offensive items, not defensive items. Sure. Which, and uh, between helping the startups launch their products, which is important, and I will get to them uh, in a timely fashion, but by far the biggest force multiplier is selling uh, the, the company that I have uh, on in process, so to speak. And so that's the way that I, I look at my to-do items and I filter them so that I end up focusing on the most important. Um, and that's, I think, the primary process. But limiting your ability to add tasks and really asking yourself also when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed, you know, how do I feel? I think how you feel is a good indicator of how – uh, not only how productive you are, but how many, uh, to use GTD parlance, open loops you have. Sure. <clears throat> and uh, there are uh, the the most important tasks also, if those other questions don't help, are almost always the, the tasks that make you the most uncomfortable. So when in doubt, the most important task is whatever makes you the most uncomfortable. And chances are that's what you're putting off. And when you put it off, you're creating that type of, of negative emotional state where when you wake up in the morning, you have a sense of dread. And when you wake up or when you try to go to sleep at night, you can't because you're running through the list of things that you have to do the next day, generally things that you've put off. Okay. Uh, great stuff. Let's see. Uh, I, I, I've actually thought of like a thousand different questions as you started talking about these things, but <laughs> I want to kind of stay focused on some of the things I wanted to ask about. Uh, one is, um, you know, I personally, on my blog, I've I've talked about uh, you know a lot of productivity and and motivational things, but I've also confessed to not always following my own advice and sometimes getting right. lazy and you know I mean what we talk about is often the ideal thing or what we try and do most of the time, 
but right. you know, maybe we don't always follow it. Um, and I was wondering if you have any uh, similar unproductive confessions for our listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's see where to begin. Uh, I want to emphasize that any any process of of performance enhancement, whether that's done through physical exercise or uh, improving your productivity tools and and steps, is a continual process, and there will be uh, there will be a a a sine wave, so to speak, of, of peak productivity and lower periods of productivity. Um, so I think it's, uh, number one, important to recognize that you will have off days. And um, that's also related to another one of your questions that I hope we can get to. Um, but I would say a number of things. Uh, the biggest challenge is, is I think, oftentimes uh, related to leaving tabs open. So if I have a tab open that is Gmail, if I have an application open that is email, if I jump onto the computer to look at something for entertainment value alone, like let's say fark.com, which is one of my favorites, uh, then uh, the tendency will be to try to pop into uh, email for a second, in quotation marks, to, to check it on anything urgent or important. And you have the time to do that, and this is an example I use a lot, but you don't have the attention. And I think I'm trying to get very much better at focusing on attention management because if you check email, let's just say for 10 minutes on a Saturday morning, if you find a problem you can't uh, address until Monday morning, then you render the next 48 hours useless because you're not in a, in a, in a pure state of productivity nor in a pure state of relaxation. You're somewhere in between where you get neither. Um, so I'm trying to get better at that type of attention management, especially when it has to do with uh, meetings and people. I think that it's easy to deal with inanimate objects compared to people and uh, always trying to recognize the value of your time and the, the non-renewable nature of your time. So if a friend asked you, can you lend me $100, most people would give that a few seconds of thought and say no in many cases, especially if it's not a good friend. Whereas if, if they're asked, you know, could you jump on the phone with me for just 20 minutes or would you mind just having lunch with me for an hour? Uh, they very quickly agree to those types of things without recognizing the cost of those types of, uh, of meetings. And sure. that's not to say that you become a hermit or that you become antisocial, but really starting to look at your time and being self-interested and not selfish about how you allocate that time. Okay, great. Well, that, that leads to the follow-up question that you mentioned, uh, which is how you motivate yourself uh, when you feel like quitting or you, or you don't feel very disciplined. You know, what do you do to motivate yourself? Uh, there are a few things. So when you feel like quitting uh, or, or don't feel very disciplined, I, I think that this it's very important to recognize that Interest and energy are cyclical, and you will. It is not possible to always be on every day. Uh, and I think when you when you expect this, then you're able to recover faster. Uh, and I'll give you a perfect example. When I was writing the uh, Four Hour Workweek, I was in Argentina at the time. I wrote it in a few different countries: Japan, Argentina, Panama, in uh, the U.S. mostly. But I was in Argentina, and there was one particular chapter that I just could not write. I was having so much trouble uh, writing this chapter because there were so many different directions I could go in. It was actually specifically 
the automation section. And there was so much I could potentially include, but the book would be a thousand pages. And uh, I really, it, it became a phobia because I, I was unable to write for one day. Then I was unable to write anything uh, the second day. And then I started to have a, a phobia associated and stress associated with my inability to write. So the, the problem just compounded itself. It's like if you get angry and then you're angry at yourself for being angry and it just <laughs> compounds. Uh, and I was very close to potentially throwing in the towel because it, it got to the point where I was about a week, a week and a half, a week and a half in, and I hadn't written anything, which is terrifying as a writer. And then a number of things happened. Number one is I had someone interview me about the chapter, knowing nothing about it other than one or two sentences that I gave them, which solved all of my writing issues. Uh, <laughs> uh, secondly, yeah, secondly is I realized that this is a very common problem and that you shouldn't obsess and try to force it. In my particular case, if you hit a period like that, you need to rethink your approach and take a break. Go do something else. And for me, that's oftentimes uh, some type of physical exercise, usually either resistance training or swimming at this point. And recognize that you need to diversify your identity. This is a really important concept. So just like you would diversify your investment portfolio so that if, if one stock, one company uh, goes bankrupt, uh, you have others to to float the boat uh, financially. It's very important that you don't have your entire identity invested in one blog, one company, one book, one relationship, uh, because there are so many factors outside of your control. It's inevitable that that bad things will happen, that certain things will fail. And for me, that means that if I'm if I'm feeling unproductive when I'm writing, and I suspect that it's just a natural trough in that sine wave of, of cyclical energy and focus, then let me go to the gym and try to focus on on developing new personal records in, let's just say, uh, a kettlebell snatch or something like that uh -huh. so that I can feel productive, I can feel like I'm improving, I'm sharpening the saw in something else uh, to counterbalance the flatline effect that I'm feeling in writing, let's just say, as an example. So it's very important, I think, for people to diversify by having other activities that you mm -hmm. can improve in, uh, other relationships that you can work on. Uh, if anything in your professional life uh, stalls out or plateaus for, for a brief period of time, and just recognize that it is temporary and that it won't be solved, the overwhelm will not be solved by overwork. It has to be solved by a different approach. Okay. Um, so that, that, that those would be my my uh, my suggestions okay great stuff um, and I know you have somewhere to go um, after this so just wanted to wrap it up by asking if you have anything that you'd like to share with our listeners any interesting projects coming out uh, either now or coming up soon you'd like to share I have a I have a lot coming up uh, 2009 is gonna be a very 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 exciting year um, I'm looking forward to it so of course I have the the History Channel TV uh, program, uh, Trial by Fire. I've yet to hear if that will happen on History Channel, uh, but television will be an area that I'll be exploring. Uh, I did, I can't talk too much about it, but I did sell 
the next book, and I'm going to be working on that in 2009. Uh, so that would probably come out in May of 2010. I, I think it's going to be uh, much, much cooler than the four-hour work week. And I'm happy and proud of the four-hour work week, even though I know it's not a perfect book. I'm very happy with how it turned out. But the next one's going to be the book that I've wanted to write for about 15 years. Um, we're going to be pretty uh, anxious to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, and uh, let's see, 2009, I'll be getting increasingly involved with angel investing in Silicon Valley as well. I've done about six investments with a lot of uh, A-list a uh, investors and and have had a lot of fun helping companies thus far. So I'll be doing a bit more of that, probably one investment per quarter. And uh, those would be the big ones, I would say, uh, continuing to enjoy the uh, the Bay Area here in California. All right. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. We, I'm, like I said, we're going to be really anxious to hear about about that book. So I can't wait to wait wait till you announce it. <laughs> but um, well, I can't can't wait until your book comes out. It's going to be uh, going to be exciting times. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, great. Um, and Tim, you know, just thank you so much for for um, this doing this interview and sharing all of this information with our listeners. And you know, I'm sure they're going to love this when it comes out. So thanks so much. It was an honor to talk to you. Uh, it's oh, it's it's the it's my pleasure and and my honor entirely. I love the work that you do and uh, will continue to be a reader. So uh, until next time, thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Tim. Bye. -bye.